You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Andrew Feinstein. He's the head of uh, Find Your Mind Meditation, and the website is fymmeditation.com. So, Andrew, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, how did you, um, I don't know, come head-to-head with the world of uh, meditation? What's your background? Yeah, um, so it all started uh, in a place that is not very futuristic, uh, the old... Uh, pen and paper and uh, a book that I read uh, about a few years ago uh, that was a novel called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Uh, And the book had these like undertones of, you know, trying to find your meaning in your life and and trying to make sense of, you know, the limited time that we kind of have here on the planet. And uh, I found myself uh, reflected a lot in the character. And when I finished the book, my tangible takeaways were give meditation a try, which was, you know, one of the tools that the main character was using, or uh, try and find a spiritual teacher in a gas station, which is kind of the premise of the novel. Uh, and I figured that the uh, the first one would be an easier uh, attempt, if you will. Right. Yeah. Well, what was going on in your life at that point where you, um, you feel like you're in need of settling and silence and peace? Or were you doing pretty well and happy at that point, regardless? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think on the surface, I felt like I was supposed to be happy, which I think a lot of people deal with. You know, my my life was uh, was pretty great. Uh, This was back when I was in college, you know, so it was supposed to be kind of the best uh, four years of my life. And, you know, I wasn't uh, I, I didn't have a lot of bills that I had to pay. I didn't have a lot of stuff that was kind of on the plate. And, you know, I still felt like everything that it was incomplete. Uh, and that there was this hole in my life and, uh, I didn't know how to express that. And I didn't feel like I could, because I felt like I had to be happier, uh, than I actually felt. And I think that the book and, and, you know, then meditation showed me that, you know, I can kind of do this work, uh, this self work of, of being still, of being, uh, uh, silent and learning more about, myself and learning about the uh the struggles that i'm going through uh and just trying to embrace everything more fully i guess people call it a a daily practice right what their meditation looks like each day 
Definitely. Um, I think, you know, similar to a lot of other things, you know, and, and this is where uh, I say I would say the American culture starts to get uh, a little conflated with, you know, the, the practices, you know, it's similar to working out, you know, most of the time, if you start working out, it's not really about getting into some amazing shape. And then all of a sudden you just stop working out, you know, you got to some goal and you're like, okay, I don't need to work out anymore. You know, I think some people in their heads are like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But, you know, once you undertake something, uh, you know, like a self-betterment practice, it starts to become part of your life. So it's less of let me achieve X goal and more of, okay, how am I going to live my life according to these philosophies and these principles every single day? So, you know, if you're talking about going to the gym, it's how am I going to live, you know, a healthier life? Uh, If you're talking about, you know, meditation, it could be how am I going to live a life of more self-insight, a life of more self-discovery, a life of, you know, being able to be more still and less reactive to the situations I find myself in. Um, but yes, I would say, you know, it's less of, uh, I do this one time and everything's fixed and more of, you know, it's a daily practice of, uh, trying to better yourself. Well, I guess it's different for you. It seems like most people that are involved in health that I've lumped meditation into health or mental health, they come from a place where they're having problems and they need to really struggle and then they find a way to help themselves. But it seems like you were okay and you just added this, but there must've been some drive in it. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's I like to kind of put it into two different uh, buckets. I think, you know, there's this idea of reactive meditation practices. So meditation practices that come from, you know, feeling some struggle in your life, having, you know, some disease or some sickness or some catastrophe. And, you know, you find this practice as kind of a tool to help you navigate through that. Uh, and then there's also proactive, you know, where you take up the tool just because you want to explore it and you want to see what it does. And, and I think it's when you do that, that you're able to actually deal with catastrophe when it comes rather than have to all of a sudden learn a new tool. Um, so, you know, I think uh, for me, it's, it's less about, you know, reacting to my environment and bringing meditation in only when I need it, but more about setting a baseline of, you know, I have a daily practice that helps me feel grounded, that helps me, have a place to come back to when my life goes awry and I start to get off, you know, the path of everyday life. And um, I think that, you know, that uh, insight has been really, really valuable for me. So what, how did this morph from uh, your own personal practice into the website and, you know, doing it for others or helping to coach others, I guess, what does it look like now? Yeah. So um, it's been, it's been a really interesting process, you know, I I learned very quickly once I started uh, to meditate that I wanted to share this experience with people. Um, And that's always something that I've wanted to do. I think, you know, when I look at kind of the biggest pain point of our society, as we start to, you know, explore all of this new technology, and we start to become way more advanced and smarter and closer, you know, is that we all still kind of feel alone. And, you know, I realized quickly when I started to gain insight into myself that, you know, how great would it be if I could better myself amongst others who wanted to do the same thing? And I think, you know, that's why people gravitate towards group fitness classes, because you can, you know, do something with a community of people and you don't feel like you're going through struggle on your own. Uh, And I think 
you know, that's kind of the key insight I had is that everybody goes through struggle. You know, it's a matter of, do you want to publicize it and work through it with people and acknowledge it? Or do you want to just kind of fight through it on your own, trying to ignore the difficulty and just trudge through life, uh, you know, working your ass off, even though there's other things that can help you enjoy the moment more. Um, so, you know, after I would say about two or three months of exploring, you know, meditation really deeply and, and reading uh, books every day and, and practicing every day, I realized, you know, that I wanted to share my insights with uh, people my age, you know, so I started to discuss uh, with college age students, you know, these things that uh, a lot of my contemporaries were unaware of. Uh, and they, you know, saw meditation as kind of this woo-woo spiritual thing that, you know, was not for them and didn't fit into their religious perspective. And, you know, not a lot of people were recognizing that there's so much more here. Uh, and I think, you know, while there are so many apps and companies doing the education component, uh, I found that they were missing this key demographic of, you know, the college age, the young professional, the kid that feels like they need to keep their head down and grind and that they can't, you know, look up and be still until, you know, they have enough money or enough status to do so. So, you know, for me, I wanted to immediately start teaching these people that, you know, in the struggle, in this keeping your head down and going, that you could actually still enjoy the moment that you could take the time every morning to, you know, set yourself in a good mindset so that you can actually attack the day more wholly and more fully. And you don't feel like at the end of your day, you need to come home and, you know, crack a beer and watch Netflix and just tune everything out. But rather, you know, you can feel like you're getting the most out of each minute that you are awake and conscious and alive. Um, and this was kind of the inspiration that, that led me uh, to write and publish my book, uh, which is called Find Your Mind Meditation for the Bold and Ambitious. Uh, it was, you know, after working with a bunch of college-age kids and seeing the value that they were getting from this, I said, you know, why can't I put something out there that targets this demographic, you know, that targets the, you know, 18 to 30-year-old, the person who's got their head down and they're just working really hard, uh, and also have it be written by somebody who knows what they're going through, not somebody who's been there before, but somebody who's actively going through it and trying to make the most out of that experience. So I think that that was really the journey from, okay, I'm going to just sit, you know, at the end of my bed with my eyes closed and attempt to meditate to, okay, this can be something that I really spread with the world and actually do for a living. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what the difference is in someone that's uh, 18. And I guess outside perception is like, oh, they're young and everything's easy and they're fine. Everything's easy for them versus someone that's like 50, 60 meditating, you know, someone that's 50 with kids and a wife and yeah. job and all those stresses and everything. Have you worked with people in different ages and in different stages of life in meditation? Definitely. And if so, have you observed how is it different for those people? Yeah, I think the difficult components and, and why I really felt like, you know, I, I remember when I first set out to write the book, a lot of people were saying, well, why are you writing a book? There's so much already written in this space, shouldn't you do something different? And I kind of said, you know, I don't think there's anybody uh, at this age level speaking to their contemporaries. You know, I felt that, uh, and, I, and I've worked with people of various age groups, and, and I feel like, you know, while I can talk about the meditation with anybody, 
that there's a disconnect on actual life experience uh, that I feel like, you know, it's harder for me to relate to somebody who has kids and has, you know, a mortgage and has all of these things that, you know, play into the struggle of life that I myself, you know, have not yet experienced. And not to say that that kids are a struggle, but, you know, I think that uh, when your life starts to get more complicated, there's a lot more moving pieces uh, that, you know, make you feel like, oh, I couldn't meditate. I can never close my mind. I can never stop thinking. I don't have any quiet spaces in my house. Um, you know, and it's, it's much harder to help people or show people that you understand what they're going through. Um, and that's why I felt, you know, that being able to speak to this age demographic and I could say like, listen, like I understand everything you're going through. You know, I, uh, I majored in, in marketing and finance and spent, you know, the first years out of college working uh, for a real estate property developer as a financial analyst and, you know, was keeping my head down and was on that path. And, you know, I can relate to the feeling of, oh, I'm getting crushed at work and I have to be here until 2 or 3 a.m. every night. And, you know, I can't find any time to meditate because I can barely find time to sleep. Um you know, so I felt like I could I could relate to that experience and I could speak to it and I could really help people see that even in the midst of, you know, this period of your life where you're working pretty hard, that there's still value to be found in stillness and silence. And I think it was difficult when, you know, I was learning the practice that I had, you know, people that were 50 or 60 telling me, you know, that, oh, I should find the time to sit every morning and that, you know, how could I not possibly find the time? And I just felt like I couldn't, you know, that I could look at them and be like, you have no idea what I'm going through. You know, you're not my age. And, you know, although that was definitely an excuse for me, I would say, you know, now when I talk with people and they're like, listen, I can't find the time. I'm like, I, listen, you can't because I've been there and I found it. And I know that, you know, uh, people can find it. So I think, you know, it really allows me to speak to uh, the actual life experience, which, you know, meditation is not just something that you do every single day as a chore or a task, you know, it starts to become part of your life. So, you know, I think when you can relate to somebody's life, it, you know, helps feel like they actually have something they can offer you. Well, again, what have you noticed about your own, like, I don't, I don't how old are you right now? And how long have you been meditating? That's my first yeah. Uh, so I'm 23 now and it's been, uh, five years. Uh, so started kind of, I guess, 18, 17, 18. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's been, you know, a, a very vast journey of, of trying to amass a lot of knowledge, uh, very quickly. And then, uh, recognizing that, you know, I'm not, uh, an expert by any means of, you know, the people that have been doing this for 20 or 30 years, and I don't pretend that I know more than them. I just like to say that I have a different perspective and one that I think still adds value to, you know, this larger conversation of uh, self-betterment and, you know, these practices that have started to become very popular uh, in our country. Yeah, but the five years of a steady practice, I would say you're probably in the, I don't know, top 5% of all people that <laughs> meditate already. So what was it? What has changed and what have you experienced over the five years? Can you put that into words? What's it yeah. like now when you meditate? What does it do for you? What do you feel like versus when you started? Yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing that, you know, comes to mind, and I think something that uh, a lot of people can take away, and this is, you know, a real, really tangible takeaway is that I feel less 
reactive to the world around me. Um, and this is something that, you know, I think when you look at meditation on the surface and what the tool actually is, you know, it's a tool that allows you to go within yourself and take some time to be still. And as thoughts arise, you slowly start to recognize them and then return back to your breathing or to whatever anchor you want to use, you know, if we're talking kind of a mindfulness practice. Um, and, you know, I think that practice in and of itself and that repetition has allowed me to feel like I can in real time, go to that place of stillness and, and decide how I want to react in a situation, you know, so if somebody bumps into you on the street, you know, I think it's a very knee jerk reaction to get angry. Uh, and then often we don't recognize the anger. And then we become angry for the rest of the day without even realizing what caused it. So, you know, somebody bumps into you on the subway, and all of a sudden, you go home to your significant other or to your roommate, and you yell at them, because you're pissed off about some tiny little minute interaction that happened in your day. Uh, so, you know, I That's look true. at, you know, the, the, yeah, I, you know, and I look at the changes in my life and I feel like, you know, I have that happen where, you know, I walked under the subway yesterday and somebody screamed in my face. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you know, like, I mean, I live in New York and, you know, there's a lot that happens here where um, stuff just throws you off of your even keeled, you know, feeling of my day is going great, you know, and all of a sudden something happens and you're like, okay, you decide how you react. You know, you cannot control what other people do within your life, but you can always control how you react. And I feel like, you know, that's been something that I've learned uh, wholeheartedly from the practice. Um, and, you know, the second thing that I, that I tell people a lot, and I think this one is a little less intuitive and tangible, is that you know, when you're sitting in that stillness, you get to uh, a feeling of this, you know, peace or this uh, stillness that kind of extends beyond any logical understanding that there's just a feeling of, you know, I would say it just feels natural, it feels very calm and content. And I think that it's, you know, glimpsing that feeling that has really kept me going, because I want more of that. You must be a good meditator because I grew up in New York and the feeling there is that everyone's amped and it's just, it's very fast paced and everything. And when I, you know, I don't know, it would be, I imagine I was going to ask you, have you ever tried to meditate in Grand Central Station, you know, during <laughs> lunchtime, just for the hell of it to see what would it, what would it feel like for you yeah. to be quiet and centered and all that with thousands of people milling about? It might be a really close yeah. fervency to try this. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't done Grand Central yet, but uh, I met a friend, you know, who wanted to start the practice today. We met in Washington Square Park uh, earlier this morning to do like a small little session. You know, and we're both sitting there with our eyes closed, uh, you know, back straight. You know, it's hard not to notice when somebody's doing that because I feel like it sticks out like a like a sore thumb, uh, you know, where you're like, oh, why is this guy sitting up so straight? Like nobody sits like this normally. Um, and you know, it, it's just a cool feeling to know that like, you're, you can do this anywhere, you know, that a lot of people actually use the time on the subway or on the bus, you know, the time when they're traveling, because you already can't really do anything, you know, on the subway, there's not really any cell phone service. So it's not like you can get work done. Uh, you know, so you might as well take some time to, you know, be still and, and go inward and, and see if you can do it, you know, and, and I know a lot of, uh, thought leaders in meditation will say, you know, that if you can't meditate on the subway, then you're not an expert meditator yet, you know, because you should be able to go within yourself, no matter what is going on outside of you. Um, and I think 
you know, that's very clear when like you, you know, are in a place and you start to notice somebody else's conversation, even though you might not have heard it before, you know, there's, there's, our brain is able to tune into things and tune out uh, very easily. So it's definitely something that, that can be done. And I think, you know, scientifically and logically speaking, you know, there, there are grounds to support that. Well, earlier when you were saying you're less reactive to situations, do you, some people think that means you're dulled, you know, you're less emotional or you're less alive or less happy or less any of those things because you're yeah less reactive or how would you describe it? Yeah. I think a lot of people have felt that way or worry that that is like what's going to happen to them. Uh, you know, I have never heard personally that I am, you know, emotionally dull or that I'm not, you know, in tune uh, with my emotions. But I think people worry like, okay, when I hear this less reactivity, does that mean, you know, that all of a sudden I don't care about anything and I'm just kind of this like lazy, like pillow that just like walks around the world and like does nothing. Um, and I would say it's actually the exact opposite. Uh, I think what it allows you to do is it allows you to feel emotions and then decide whether or not you want them to remain or you want to move past them. So, you know, when we kind of went back to the somebody bumping into you and you getting angry example, you know, if you decide, all right, that made me angry, but I can choose whether or not I want to carry this anger with me into the next phase of my day or if I just want to let it go. Uh, so I think instead of becoming dull, you just become more aware of the emotions and then they don't control you, but you actually gain more control over them. Well, I mean, I've, I've told myself plenty of times to let it go. And I've certainly told my wife that, but sometimes it's very difficult to, and then it's frustrating. So is it that you need meditation to just, does it give you more power to do that, to let things go? Or is there something else that you have to say to yourself or do in order to let things go? I think, you know, it's it's really about having something that you can return to in those moments, you know. So for me, if somebody bumps into me on the street, I pause for a minute and I go back to my breathing, you know. And in my meditation practice, a lot of what I do is trying to pay attention to the feelings and sensations of my breath. Uh, and then when I get distracted, noticing the distraction and coming back to the breathing. So I think, you know, if we stay on this example, if somebody bumps into me, my go-to will be just to take a step back to return back to my breathing and, you know, kind of look at the example and be like, all right, am I, how am I feeling right now? That made me angry. You know, do I want to keep this anger in my system and, you know, be angry for the rest of the day? Or do I want to recognize that, you know, this was an accident and, you know, I can let it go. I think the differences and in, in where meditation comes in as value is that in our heads, we say, yeah, we should let things go, but we don't actually like look at the feelings. We don't try and let them go. We just say rationally to ourselves, we should let that go. Uh, so I think, you know, the difference is being able to actually be in tune with yourself more fully allows you to see these experiences and see these emotions and decide what you want to do with them rather than just rationally saying, you know, let it go. And, you know, really, you still have that emotion, you're just trying to move on with your day. Um, you know, so I know it sounds kind of conflated, and, and the, the difference is a little bit subtle. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the challenge with meditation, where, uh, you know, the difficult selling point is, if you will, is, you know, unlike a lot of these other things out there, I can't really show you the exact changes, you know, I, I guess I could hook my brain up, to, you know, a monitor and show you that, you know, there are changes that go on within certain regions of the brain. Um, 
but you know, most of the science isn't what gets people to meditate. You know, it's less about the hard facts of, okay, this is what'll change for you. It's more about, you know, you just give it a try. You know, you try to meditate and you see, you know, what it does for you and you try more than once, you know, it's like anything, you know, you wouldn't try something one time and, and give it up. You know, you wouldn't go to your first day of, of a new job and be like, okay, I didn't like today. I'm quitting, you know, and, and, I think, uh, you know, like in everything, you know, you just got to put some time in and, and see if there's value there for you. Do you have any memories of a of like a really intense situation where your training came to your aid? I think, you know, if, if uh, I don't know if I would say really, really intense, but just, you know, everyday arguments with loved ones and, and family members uh, where I feel like I'm almost a little bit more removed from the argument where I feel like I can see it more fully uh, and I'm not so caught up in, you know, the uh, emotions to not be able to resolve something. You know, I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I really like making sure that, you know, everything that goes on in my, you know, relationships with people uh, is said and, you know, that I don't harbor any feelings against people in my life. Um, and I think that, you know, this is something that, you know, being able to be uh, a little bit more in tune with with myself and, you know, in the midst of an argument, being able to go back to the breathing and be like, OK, do I really want to keep yelling at somebody that I have a lot of love for or do I want to try and bring this up in a different way? And I think, you know, that um, has really helped me, you know, in my relationships with, you know, family members and, and loved ones. So what are some of the uh, the difficulties people have that you work with maybe ongoing yeah. ones that you've had but like what, what are the common things that you know stop people from meditating or make it really difficult for them yeah um i would say the biggest one is that even once you commit to it even once you say all right i'm gonna give this thing a try uh that there's no instant gratification uh and i and i think you know we've become a very instantly gratifying society where, you know, you want to talk to somebody and you don't have to send a letter and wait for the response, but you can text them and, you know, odds are they will text right back or you can call them and talk to them or you can even FaceTime and, you know, see their face. Uh, so I think, you know, we've gotten into this custom of I want something. It takes me two seconds to get it, you know, so I think a lot of people want the feelings that meditators describe, you know, this less reactivity, this stillness, this ability to kind of just be more in tune with yourself. I think everybody would say, yeah, I would love that. But the problem is they do it once and they expect that to happen. Um, and, you know, as we've discussed, you know, I said, I've been doing this for, you know, five years now and, and that I still feel like, you know, to some extent I'm a beginner, um, you know, because there are people that have done this, you know, they, they do this for their whole lives, that it's something that they dedicate their lives to. You know, you have monks that are spending hours and hours every single day, uh, you know, going inward and doing meditative practices. So um, I think that the biggest difficulty is that you got to realize that the changes are subtle and that they come not immediately, but, you know, gradually. Uh, and I think that that's a very difficult thing for us as a society to accept. Um, and I think, you know, it, it mimics itself in, you know, fitness as well, where, you know, we want to work out and immediately get, you know, the body that we're looking for. Uh, and you realize very quickly there as well that, you know, it doesn't come right away. 
the nice thing about fitness is that you feel amazing, you know, after a really hard workout because of, you know, the actual science behind how dopamine is released in the brain and serotonin is released in the brain and, and, you know, you feel good. Um, meditation can be tricky. Uh, you know, and when you sit with yourself, oftentimes there are difficulties that come up like thoughts that you've tried to suppress feelings and emotions that, you know, you're trying not to think about, you know, when you stop letting your brain be distracted by everyday life and you sit, you know, a lot of that stuff, uh, starts to, rear itself, you know, into the uh, forefront of your consciousness. And I think uh, that is another difficulty of, you know, where's my gratification? Where's my feeling of relaxation? Where's my peace and my ease and my, you know, ability to be emotionally in tune and uh, less reactive? And, you know, it doesn't come after one session. So what are, what are some things meditation is good for in addition to what you said? You said being, being less reactive, which is good, not letting, you know, bigger, small things like ruin your day. But yeah. what else? What if I'm a procrastinator and I sit down and I, I try to work, but I get distracted and I'm like, you know, is it helpful there? Will I just naturally procrastinate less? So will I be able to focus on work more? Like what else have you seen that helps you with? Yeah. I mean, I think the procrastination is an interesting example. I mean, I know, uh, you know, meditation has kind of become, I don't want to say a cure-all in, you know, the health space, but I think people are saying, you know, that it's got all of these outstanding benefits. And, and while a lot of them are true and have value and validation, uh, I think it's really, you know, it's an individual and personal experience, you know. So usually, you know, when somebody is procrastinating, they're avoiding something, you know, that either, uh, you know, in, in my experience, it's been that, you know, there are other feelings and stuff that are going on that, you know, make you want to feel sluggish and lazy and not productive. So, you know, taking a few minutes to just be with yourself and reset and, you know, even, um, you know, just even just sitting and, and, and feeling your breath can, can really help you uh, feel more in tune and, and ready to kind of attack whatever it is that you need to attack, you know, and that's kind of a lot of the the philosophy that I lay out in my in my book is that it's less about uh, you know relaxation and more about just setting you up for you know being able to do what you want to do with your life um, you know and I when I talk about you know kind of doing a practice every morning and you know having meditation be part of your morning you know it's like you're fu every morning you're fueling yourself for the day you know if you look at yourself kind of like uh, a machine, you know, which is kind of how the world, you know, looks at us now that we have to churn out a ton of work and we work ourselves really hard. And, you know, we're basically like, you know, we have to compete with machines for jobs. So, you know, in that sense, um, you know, if you're going to work really hard and yet every morning, what you do is you wake up 10 minutes before you got to go to work and you get dressed really quick and you grab a coffee and you get to the office and, you know, the subway's delayed and you're pissed off that the subway's delayed. And, you know, there's all of this crap that feeds into, you know, your fueling time, uh, then I think it throws you off for your whole day, you know, so where I, you know, talked in the beginning about meditation kind of being a proactive tool, one that you can use, you know, to actually help your life now, even when things are good, and you're not dealing with uh, catastrophe, you know, is, is being able to feel like you have something in the morning that grounds you that recharges you, that helps you feel like you're ready to take on, you know, a difficult day. Um, 
And I think, you know, a lot of the science behind, behind that is the same thing, you know, where a lot of people say, you know, making your bed every morning helps you feel like you've accomplished something. Uh, and, you know, I would say, you know, a step further that, you know, doing the meditation in addition to that feeling of accomplishment of, you know, you did something difficult in the morning is that it really helps you uh, fuel your body and your brain in a way that allows you to, to, to make the most out of your day. Any personal discoveries you feel like you made about meditation that you don't hear commonly? Any, you know, or is it, you know, hey, you've joined the group of meditators out there and, yep, the benefits are what they said it would be. And is there any mystery to you or is it like plain and simple and it, it just works? Yeah, I mean, I think for every person, uh, it is a slightly different experience. And, and you know, I don't know if I have any like golden nuggets of, of insight. Um, and, you know, I guess the thing that I've realized is, you know, I used to be the type of person that was very against anything spiritual. And I think, you know, to me, I, I misunderstood uh, the term spiritual as, you know, kind of like shamans and weird herbs and rituals and all of this stuff. But, you know, they're, uh, you know, now kind of the term really means to me is, you know, how you feel about yourself and your life and how, you know, you go about maintaining uh, the betterment of yourself and, you know, making sure your life is where you want it to be, not just logistically, but, you know, emotionally as well. I think, you know, to me that all of that feeling is what encompasses uh, spirituality. And, you know, I think uh, the more that I've been able to embrace that, the more I've been able to learn about myself. And I guess, you know, I, I talk about, you know, self insight a lot. And for me, that's really what, you know, my meditation practice is at the moment is just, you know, the uh, constant growth of comfortability with myself. Um, and I think, you know, taking the time to sit and, and be with my breath and be with my body and, and who I am, you know, allows me to just feel uh, more at ease in, in everything that I do uh, and more confident in everything that I do. And, and um, I think, you know, that's something that has happened for me and something that I don't hear talked about a lot. But I think, you know, it's a very personal experience. And, uh, you know, I think everybody goes through it differently. So what uh, what is Find Your Mind Meditation about? That's what we'll finish with. What are you doing now to work with others? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we do a lot of things. So really where uh, the focus is right now is on actual community building. Um, and, you know, what I realized very quickly, um, like I said earlier, you know, was that uh, we're all lonely. And, you know, if you go to a monastery, you know, in Asia, you know, it's not just some guy sitting in a cave doing his meditation on his own. And while, you know, that does happen from time to time and, you know, monks will take, you know, um, time on their own to actually go deeper within themselves. They also have this community of people going through a similar experience. You know, there are, you know, hundreds of them that live in the same place that are working on bettering themselves. And uh, I think that, you know, what we've done here in terms of taking me meditation as a tool and making it something that is for, you know, getting a leg up in the world and being, uh, better than everyone else. I think that that's kind of a lot of the slant that taken is like, you know, get an edge up basically and, you know, be more in tune with your mind and be sharper and less reactive. And, uh, you know, I think 
for me, where I find a lot of passion in the space is bringing people together and making it seem like, you know, this is not just an individual tool. And while yes, nobody can meditate for you, you know, that you can do it with other people that are also going through a similar experience. And I think that that makes you feel supported. I think that that makes you feel uh, like you can actually continue the practice. Um, so, you know, what we've uh, rolled out recently are, you know, these dinner series where, you know, people come together uh, over food and, you know, they uh, get to experience, you know, meditation in um, some form and, you know, the beginning of that. And then they get to talk about their life and about their personal experiences. And, you know, you go through this journey of actually feeling like you can connect with other people. And uh, I think, you know, that the prerequisite to that is being able to first connect with yourself. Uh, so I see, you know, for me in the future of, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is really trying to make people feel like there are others out there in the world who understand them and that they also understand themselves. Um, so, you know, we've put a big emphasis on uh, this dinner series uh, and, you know, then, kind of the follow-up every day is just, you know, anybody who wants to learn meditation is being there as a, as a resource, as a tool, you know, that helps relate to people's experiences and helps them feel like, you know, they actually have somebody that they can talk to. Um, and, you know, a lot of the work that I do is, is very personal, is very uh, individualized. And I don't, you know, at least right now plan on uh, having, you know, this huge, large uh, base of, you know, meditation that, you know, you just come to my website and you tune into a meditation, but rather, you know, that you get led one-on-one -on -one, that you have, you know, kind of uh, a training that feels, you know, unique to you and that you can talk through the stuff that gets difficult and you can be like, Hey, you know, how come I've been doing this for a month and I loved it, but now I don't want to meditate at all. And, you know, you can have somebody say, well, that's actually a very common trend in a lot of people who start meditating that there's, you know, kind of this, downslope uh, right after you start where, you know, you start to lose interest and, um, you know, talk through things that I think when you download an app now, there's not a lot of uh, space for that. And while I have nothing but admiration for all of the companies spreading meditation, because I do think, you know, even one session can be of value to people and can change somebody's life. Uh, I definitely think that there's room to, to kind of become more uh, personalized and, and individualized in the space to, to really help people. Well, very good. So what, what are some resources, like if people want to get in contact and maybe if they're local, go for one of the dinner parties or I don't know if you're setting them up nationally. Um, yeah. What are some ways people can engage with you? Definitely. Uh, so the website uh, has everything that people might need. Talks about a lot of the stuff that, uh, that I work on. Um, and the website is uh, fymmeditation.com. Uh, and it also has, you know, a contact section that goes directly to my inbox. Uh, and, you know, the dinners are in New York City uh, and they're, you know, intimate gatherings that are kind of invite only, but, you know, anybody is at play to be invited. Um, so, you know, any interest in any of that, people are, are more than welcome to reach out. That's great. Well, I mean, again, for someone at your age to uh, discover meditation, to do it consistently for so long, it's really cool. It's very unusual. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting to find out. Actually, that's one more question. Have, have you spoken to anyone that's been meditating for 20, 30, 40 years? And what did they tell you? Anything interesting? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've uh, I've had you know the good fortune of of being able to talk to a lot of people in the space, and uh, you know, uh, I would encourage any like like all of these people are so accessible, and you know, all it takes is the willingness to put yourself out there and say, you know, hey, I want to talk to somebody in this field, you know, like let's just make it happen. So you know, in my book writing process, I got to talk to a lot of you know what people would consider thought leaders in in the space. Um, and, you know, I, I actually asked all of them, you know, what is something that you would say to, you know, your 18 to 30 year old self? Um, so I guess, you know, really what I was asking is what advice would you give me? Um, and, you know, I think uh, one of the biggest takeaways that I had was, you know, people saying just enjoy the moment more and, you know, find the practice earlier and spread this to more people because that's really all we're trying to do is we're trying to have the most enjoyment, the most passion, the most purpose in our lives. Um, and a lot of the people who've been doing this for, you know, 20 or 30 years will tell you that, you know, the amount that they have learned about what they need now versus what they were doing in the past, uh, that if a lot of them could go back, I'm sure that, you know, they would make some drastic changes. And, and while everyone is, you know, pretty content on where they've ended up, you know, everyone that at least I, I was speaking to, I definitely had the feeling that, you know, people would have loved to have found meditation earlier um, and, you know, just committed to it and felt like, you know, they were actually enjoying every single moment, like a lot of them feel like they are now. Very good. Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a good call. Of course. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it a lot. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.